The Lunar New Year holidays are just around the corner. That's right, but some people are nervous about getting with family. Today's show is going to help you get ready for that and more. I'm Natalie Sell. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start by looking at the stories on our radar. There have been no new domestic COVID-19 cases in Taiwan since last Saturday, when four new cases were reported. All of those cases were linked to an outbreak at a hospital in Taoyuan, northern Taiwan. There have also been two new deaths. Taiwan students are getting four more days of Lunar New Year vacation. Education officials are delaying the start of the new semester in an effort to combat COVID-19. That will give schools enough time to sanitize their campuses before students return. Employee bonuses have shrunk to an eight-year low. JobBank 1111 has calculated that employers are only giving an average of 1.2 months pay in year-end bonuses this year. A survey by another job bank, Yes123, found that 63% of people are strapped for cash as we head into the Lunar New Year holidays, a time when adults are expected to hand out cash to their parents and children. And under the radar this week, an Elon County resident captured this footage of a pack of yellow-throated Martins chasing after a Reeves muntjac in a dramatic hunt. The man who filmed this scene lives in the mountains where these two kinds of animals are plentiful, but he says he's never seen anything like this. Andrew, did you know that the Lunar New Year is a high time for burglaries? I did. In fact, the only time I've ever had somebody break into my house was right before the Lunar New Year. Really? Holidays. Yeah, I got my wallet stolen. My roommate got his wallet stolen. Yeah. So Anything you have to else? Be no. Strangely, they just took you don't money. have anything else. No, <laughs> nothing else kidding. worth stealing. <laughs> Well, you know, the Lunar New Year is a high time for burglaries because there's a lot of cash around and mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, travel, leave their home. That's right. And now some, what's very interesting is there are some police departments that have started to shoot their own videos warning people about the dangers. Have a look. The camera pans as gun-wielding gangsters plot a bank robbery. Cut to a slow-mo shot of the outlaws approaching the bank. But this isn't Taiwan's hottest new blockbuster. It's this year's anti-theft video from police in Lugan. And that means, spoiler alert, these gangsters are actually cops. Officer Zheng Yao explains how they did it. He says they used three mobile phones shooting 60 frames per second. Inspiration came from their favorite action movies. Meanwhile, police in Taichung rob a bank in costume as characters from the popular anime series One Piece. Their crack canine division saves the day. Another police department dresses to impress, while a guard makes a cameo. With such stiff competition for the best promotional video, it seems even police love playing cops and robbers. Next, our brain game about another cause for anxiety during the Lunar New Year, questions that your relatives may ask you. Today's brain game is a top 10, the top 10 questions people dread being asked during the Lunar New Year. So I guess you guys are kind of anxious right now, right? Uh, I'm going to yes. lightning round this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is going to be like the Olympic warm-up for me because the Olympic event is next week when it's actually Chinese New Year. And they're going to actually ask you these questions. Yep. I might get asked these too. Are you? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Okay. Oh. Let's do this. 
If you didn't know, Asian relatives are notorious for asking some very personal questions. And there was a survey done by Yes123 about what people fear this year. <laughs> so um, these are the top 10. You guys have 90 seconds to guess. Be courteous. Mm -hmm. okay. Guys, ready? Yes. Yeah. Go. Go for it. Yes. Have you uh, been overseas lately? No. Where's your girlfriend at? Definitely, well, yes. When are you going to have a baby? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, how much money do you make? Yes. Um, are you, um, have you, have you been in quarantine lately? No. Wow, you got fat, but at the same time, they're asking you, why'd you get so fat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's not what it is. That's He's what got it a is. lot of experience. Wow, you got skinny. What, you don't have enough to eat? <laughs> no skinny. <laughs> no skinny. <laughs> What's your salary? Yes. <laughs> hey, you asked already, that. Already, already, already you said that's that? okay. Um, that's all right. When are you going to get a girlfriend? Uh, is that all related? That's related. Who are you going to marry? Yeah. Who are you going to get a girlfriend? Married. Married, married well, is another one. I thought we did that. No, we, we did girlfriend. I mean, now married. These are just okay. all things that you get we at have, anyway. You guys did five already. Where's my red envelope at? That's right. Oh, oh, my and how goodness. much is in it? How much is oh in it? Oh, my gosh. This is terrible. <laughs> Why don't I have a red envelope? <laughs> <laughs> more, more. Why did she get more than I did? These are all questions. More? Something about... What kind of car do you drive? That's right. Do you own a car or a home? <laughs> when are you going to get promoted? Um, okay, so you what is your job? Where are you working? Yeah. Where are you working? What's your job? Um, how much Five do you pay in seconds. rent? How much do you pay No, in no, it's like nothing about the rent. <laughs> how much do you earn after taxes and before taxes? <laughs> are there no pandemic <laughs> questions? There's got to be a pandemic question. No pandemic question. questions this year. Come on, that's a great when, question. You guys want to hear the rest? Well, yeah. Oh, you, you keep going. <laughs> Why don't you come back and see Grandma more often? Aww. Oh, that's Why so don't sad. you? <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to set you up that. with someone? Oh, oh, no. The answer is always no. Is your job stable? Do you have a good boss? Oh. So I want to ask you guys, which question do you dread the most? You guys are going home for the holidays, right? All of them. It's you guys are me, single and... <laughs> to me, it just falls <laughs> under this one giant category of, of like family questions and they're all in there. I, the girlfriend I, one? The girlfriend one, the fat one, yeah. the job one, the baby one, the weight? children one, the, the red envelope one, the how much money do you make one. Like, how, which one do you want? I told you, like, this is all lightning round to me. I could do it all day. Wow, wow, okay. wow. How about I, Andrew? I feel do you get anger. asked? Yeah, of course. You do get asked? Which the one do you get asked? The relationship ones, I don't like those. I'm not a fan mm. of And I don't like ones about money. No. Like, I don't want to talk about... Do they ask about... you how much you make? Well, sometimes, yeah. A lot of people really? want to know how much I make. So intrusive. I say, I make enough. I look, see, I'm not, like, wasting Poor. away. <laughs> so how do you think we can um, deflect these questions? I have a tip, but if you guys have a question. I, I have, have one, too. All right, go ahead. <laughs> you find the weakest person in the room, and you turn the attention on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, bring Leslie with you. <laughs> you can always bring a foreigner with you to Lunar New Year. That will uh, definitely deflect. I just, uh, I just try and change the attention. I was like, oh, yeah, it's dinner time. Look at the TV. Don't you love that guy? Oh. I think then, you can uh, yeah. ask them questions like, when did you first meet Ama? When did you meet Auntie? What was it like when, you know, you see, try to like change the topic and put the pivot. focus on them. Pivot. Yes. Pivoting and is hard. You got to be careful because if they ask you about the girlfriend, they'll be just like, well, you know what? I met your grandma when I was 22. And then, like, oh, <laughs> no. You've tried that already, huh? Oh, yeah. oh. Okay, so we wish you all the best of luck uh, facing the relatives. Those are some tips for you. And that's our brain game for the week. Taiwan is set to be a super aged society by 2025. 
That means that 20% of the population will be over 65 by then. Many businesses and government agencies are aware of this and know that they have to adjust their operations to better serve the aging populations. But what happens when the aging population adjusts to you? Meet Duan Jinwei, a 68-year-old woman who's blown up on social media this week. Why did Duan Jinwei get famous? Here's a hint, she's earned the nickname Nightclub Grandma. That's because she's been spotted getting lit in Taipei's Xinyi District, an area in Taiwan's capital full of nightclubs. Grandma Duan hits up the nightclub at least five times a week to tear up the dance floor. I haven't been to the nightclub in months. Honestly, the thought of taking public transportation to go clubbing five nights a week just sounds absolutely exhausting. I just don't think I'd be able to keep up. I can imagine Grandma Duan calling me weak and reminding me that she's over twice my age, but you know what? That's okay. The nightclub grandma has skyrocketed in popularity. The media in Taiwan rushed to tell her story. Apple Daily conducted an interview with the nightclub grandma. In the video, she calls herself a monster because she doesn't conform to society's expectations for someone her age. Grandma Duan says she doesn't like slow music and that she prefers, and I quote, music that goes boom boom boom. The more it booms and bangs, the better. The interview goes on to reveal that the nightclub grandma doesn't have many friends and doesn't like sitting at home alone. Not only that, she was once married in the United States, but her husband cheated on her. She says dancing at the club helps her take her mind off her past woes. As sad as that is, I think Grandma Duan's fortunes are about to turn around. People are loving her. One of her fans set up an Instagram account to document sightings of the nightclub grandma. When news stories about her first surfaced, the Instagram account had around 6,000 followers. A few days later, that number jumped to over 10,000, and it's still growing. Apparently, Grandma can hang. She's been known to go with young club goers to grab a late night bite to eat before heading home. If you see Grandma and you'd like to buy her a drink, don't forget, she doesn't do alcohol. Her drink of choice is orange juice with extra ice. As if she weren't cool enough already. So today we actually have something very special to celebrate. Today is the 100th episode of Taiwan Insider. Yay! Hey. Now, do you remember our first episode? I do. I think we were quite nervous the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and I also remember our president, uh, the RTI president, giving us an order that we have to do a show, some mm -hmm. kind of show. And we um, brainstormed, and I think the hardest part was thinking of a name. It took oh us weeks, goodness. and we had like over 100 names. And like even to the day before the deadline, we're thinking of we couldn't, you know, think of a name we really liked. Yeah. The, the last name we had was Taiwan to go. Right. And it and didn't seem to fit quite right. Sound like sound like, like a food and travel show. Yeah, or it didn't quite sound like a news show. Yeah. So, but then you came up with Taiwan Insider. It was yeah. awesome, Andrew. Yeah, and everybody liked it. Uh, you know, I was thinking uh, with that first show because it was actually a really long show. I think it was close to like thirty, 30 minutes. minutes. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, are we going to do this every week? Like, we could do one show, but do we have to do it every week? And we've, we've managed to do it every week for That's 100 right. weeks. And also, mm -hmm. Leslie joined us. It was great to have Leslie on board. That's yeah. right, yeah. How did yeah. you feel when you first joined us? Nervous, absolutely nervous. I remember I joined uh, Radio Taiwan International uh, May 20th mm -hmm. of 2018, I believe. Mm -hmm. 2019. 2019, yeah. sorry, 2019. And... By the end of the June, you were just like, "Yeah, get on, get on camera." <laughs> and I've never had any camera experience. <laughs> you know, well, you're a natural. We knew you'd be great. I was freaking out. I, I, I never wrote a script. I didn't have any like production experience. And then you were just like, "Yeah, just go on there and just act natural." I'm like, 
I remember actually we were Natalie and I were in the studio talking about it and I was like I think we should get Leslie gone yeah, and he pops his head in the like, studio he's like what I I'm heard here. my name I was like I heard that <laughs> I was, uh, and uh, but you know cut to today I haven't participated in a hundred episodes but it's uh it's it's so interesting maybe eighty I think yeah it's yeah. been great having you and uh, I'm waiting for my hundredth so that'll be a, a milestone to wait look at. Coming up very soon. Yeah. What were your favorite moments from the last 100 episodes, Natalie? My favorite was watching Leslie's expression when he ate the pork floss ice cream. <laughs> that was funny. That, uh, that wasn't quite my favorite moment. <laughs> um, what was your favorite moment? I'd have to say maybe it's fairly recently just getting blindfolded and then decorating the Christmas tree. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> that was uh, so much fun. He did such a great job. Again, it was very nerve-wracking like, whenever you, know, you take away the sight. But then, you know, it was it was fun. Those it are was, cute glasses that uh, Andrew yeah. made for us, too. We like those. We're very low budget here. We make our own props. <laughs> yeah. My favorite moment, and I like both of yours because they're, I think they're fun. Um, my favorite moment uh, was actually a really stressful moment for us, and that was when we did the live show. That was so much fun. The election show. Yes, the election show. That was show. so much fun. Three actually. and a half hours, no bathroom breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that we would get through that. That it was, was really great. impressive. And yeah. we had three and guests live, yeah. and then you were kind of translating what's happening live, the mm-hmm. numbers and everything. It was very exciting. All right, we're going to do something now that we have not done ever in 100 episodes. Okay. We are going to make some food. All right. Nice. Come on board. And uh, to do that, I have brought a very topical ingredient for our 100th uh, episode. So I want you both to close your eyes. Oh, man. And hold out your hands. Nothing I want gross, you to. Right? It's nothing gross. <laughs> and I want Slimy. you to guess what this 100th anniversary ingredient is. Is it a... Century oh egg. God, I can't tell. <laughs> hey, that sounds like an egg. It is. You can open your eyes. Oh, this is a century egg. Uh, we sometimes call them thousand-year eggs, hundred-year eggs. Uh, you can go ahead and open it up. And this is essentially a preserved egg, and it is completely black inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys like these? Yeah. I enjoy them. They okay, good. good. I like them, too, and we're going to use it to make an incredible dish. And we have some ingredients right here in front of us. So, of course, we have the uh, eggs, Mm -hmm. and these are preserved eggs. We have some uh, chopped up green onions. Uh, We have some bonito flakes, which are going to be a garnish on the top. And then we have uh, soy sauce paste, uh, and we also have a little bit of uh, sesame oil, which is going to go in that as well. And then, of course, we have uh, tofu. So, can you guys guess what we're going to be making today? Piran tofu. Yes, that's right. So it's preserved egg with tofu. Um, so why don't we get the two of you to help uh, shell the egg? You got it. And I'll get to work on the uh, tofu. Crack it off real quick. Wow, those smell really potent. <laughs> I think that's ammonia smelling, right? Okay. How Moment long of truth. did I do this for? Three weeks. Pork. That's it? Three I weeks think, and your egg turns like this? I think in the old days it took a lot longer and they it's also a thousand used... year old. Yeah, it's not it's not a hundred years. It's not a thousand years or a thousand days even. That's misleading. Here we go. Now in Can the old that? days they used uh I hear that they used horse urine and I think I heard something like that, gross like that. Yeah, like maybe chalk. But probably or not clay. anymore, right? Not anymore. So we're gonna just take these onions and put them right on the top there. Always good. This is a very Taiwanese dish, right? Yes. I think I only had it when I came here to Taiwan. How's that look? Looks pretty. Good. More and more. Load it up. Yeah. Load it up. Load the it up. The more the merrier. 
Yes, that okay, looks that's delicious. All right. All right. So the trick is, before you eat this, you want to chop everything up nice and. Uh, Actually, Leslie, why don't nice you do the, the uh, Do you want me to chop the eggs as well? I think go to town. Go to town. Go to All town. All right, man. Oh, oh, but I need to flick down. <laughs> so this is actually an easy dish to make. Super easy dish. I think that the uh, the biggest obstacle for most people is the Stomaching eggs. the egg. Yeah. You need to balance it with something like tofu, though. Yes. Something plain. And I want to just uh, take the egg and show our friends at home what it looks like. Can you see that? The inside of the egg. It's all pretty black intense. and preserved, and the smell is pretty strong. Three-week-old egg. Andrew, how do you feel about the just these eggs? The first time I had them, I was uh, pretty nervous to eat them mm -hmm. because they they look really gross, like gray and kind of greenish, and ugh. Uh, but I love the flavor. Okay. I think the flavor is just to die Great. for. Serve yourselves. What would you do if uh, one of us had an aversion to this? I mean, fainted on set. That would make some great TV. <laughs> All right, shall we eat it? Go ahead yes. and dig in. Mm. Great mm. balance of flavors, mm. different flavors that kick in. Not just that, the but the texture. The very, very smooth, and then you get the pungent egg yolk, and then the crispy fish flakes. It's a combination of so many different things, kind of like our team. Mm. <laughs> this 100 episodes of uh, Leslie and Natalie and Andrew coming together to bring you the best of Taiwan. So uh, cheers. 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 Here's 100 more. By the way, I'm the flavor. <laughs> <laughs>
Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Taiwan today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan today. I am Natalie So. China is waging a special kind of warfare around the world to dominate the world. It's called political warfare, and Carrie Gershenak just wrote a book about it to educate the world. It's called "Political Warfare: Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting." Join me as I continue my conversation with Gershenak about what the world needs to know about China's political warfare. They call it warfare. They're at war with us. Can I give you an example of of how the the inability to understand? Uh, on the American side, uh, uh, that terminology of war led to massive casualties of Americans. Sure, sure. Uh, late 1990s, it's a fellow running around Southwest Asia. He's wearing a towel on his head, and he's saying, "I hate you, America. I'm going to kill you. I'm, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill Americans everywhere I can." And uh, our elites, our intelligence community, our political leaders—they're all saying, "Yeah, yeah. You live in a cave. You have a towel on your head." And you know, run along, little boy. You're not a problem. So on September 11, 2001, we had thousands of Americans die fairly hideous deaths as planes hijacked aircraft, American aircraft slammed into the World Trade Center, slammed into the Capitol building, slammed into the fields of Pennsylvania, because we wouldn't take it on face value when Osama bin Laden says, "I'm at war with you, America. We would not accept it. You're you're insignificant. You don't matter." You can be at war with us, but we don't care. You start caring when you start losing about three thousand Americans, um, and so let's take the PRC at its word. You say you're at war with us, fine. We're going to go to war too, but we'll do it on the political warfare battlefield. Well, Xi Jinping just said at the World Economic Forum that the strong should not bully the weak. What was he saying? Is he trying to project the image that China is still very peaceful? He's Pretending to not be a bully, to not have ill intentions. If you look at my book and you read the narratives and the themes of, of PRC political warfare and propaganda, this is a recurrent theme that that we're we're small, uh, we're not a threat to anyone. We're, we're you know poor little China. Don't hurt the feelings of 1.3 billion people by accusing us of being the the hegemon. Don't accuse us. Of being expansionists, don't accuse us simply because we circumnavigate Taiwan and we're constantly threatening you with amphibious assault exercises and and words saying that we're going to go to war against you. Don't think that we're militaristic. <laughs> It's Orwellian doublethink. Of course, if you go back and read what their wolf warrior diplomats out of Beijing have been saying about we're a big country, you're a small country. Go back to those、um, Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And other meetings where,、uh, but Beijing has been pretty blunt about we're a strong nation. You're not. You're a vassal state or a tributary state at best, and、uh, we're the we're the celestial empire. You will kowtow to us. It's again. It's designed. It's political warfare、mm. designed to woo and people into complacency and to fool those who aren't paying attention. 
So how would you um, describe the U.S.'s reaction to what happened this week? How do you think they're doing in terms of responding to China's military threats? We still have to see how the Biden administration shapes up and what they actually do. I've got concerns about it because I know the people there and I, I saw what happened during uh, the Obama-Biden administration. But I think they're off to a strong start. I think that the statements that were made immediately after that and then the, uh, the wording about the six assurances for those, uh, there's no time for a history lesson here, for those who don't know how important the six assurances are to the comfort, safety, and your ability to sleep at night in Taiwan, they're critically important. Um, this administration, the new administration, picked up where the Trump administration left off and is now speaking of the six assurances which previously those six assurances that President Reagan had given uh, were, were sort of dropped from the discussion. Um, so there's words that are being said, there are actions that are being taken. The uh, USS Roosevelt carrier battle group that sailed through the South China Sea. We're not seeing a backing off of freedom of navigation operations and we're not just sending one ship in. That was very significant to me that that carrier battle group went in as a carrier battle group. So I think that this is a somewhat chastened, older and wiser team that's coming in this time. They're gonna pick up, in my ideal world, they're going to pick up where the Trump administration, the good people like Randy Shriver, uh, Assistant Secretary Stilwell, uh, Matt Pottinger, the great work that they did in support of Taiwan and the great work they did helping America to realize what a threat China is and help us to build the capacity to stand up and, and fight for our freedom. I'm hoping this new administration continues in that vein. They're off to a strong start in my view, Natalie. And if you were in Taiwan, I, I know you were here for a few years, would you be afraid of what China is doing? I wouldn't let fear dominate. I, I knew what I was getting into when I took, uh, it's actually almost three years that I was at National Shenzhen University as a fellow. I went over there at that time because uh, Xi Jinping a few years before had given the PLA until 2020 to be able to invade Taiwan. I was there as a US Marine ready to fight to defend Taiwan some years ago. And I was willing to be back there at a time when Xi Jinping had telegraphed that he wanted his forces to be able to attack you. So I wouldn't say I'd be afraid, I would be cautious and I would do the things that I recommended that you do. And that's one start strengthening the capacity you're already building to fight PRC political warfare, and two, go even further with technology, equipment, realistic combat training, and then developing a civilian capacity to help resist and make sure Xi Jinping and the Politburo know it's gonna be hell to pay. You will not win if you attack Taiwan. You will not successfully invade us. Can you tell us how China is working on social media and the internet because all of us are on the internet. What should we be aware of? China has mastered social media warfare. Um, and to Taiwan's great credit, you now have a major effort underway to, to regain the, the, what you call the cognitive domain. Through social media warfare, the PRC and its, its uh, tr online trolls and its uh, strategic support force, which has at least 200,000 
of maybe 300,000 people working on attacking you through the internet, through cyber means. Um, you in Taiwan have stood up a major effort under President Tsai's direction um, to, to regain the cognitive domain and to fight back on that battlefield. You did a pretty good job in the 2020 elections, really well. Uh, you learned the lessons from the 2018 in terms of election interference. And you're now fighting the intimidation that comes, uh, that's used against your people, against your academics, against your politicians, against the destructive fake news that's put out there on, uh, in, in the course of social media warfare. You're, you're taking on the, the, the phony uh, false flag uh, online uh, sources and you're exposing them. Sunshine is a great disinfectant, as you know, being in the media. So the, the more you expose these efforts and, and the United Front organizations in Taiwan that are involved in, some, in the PRC social media warfare against you, the more successful you're gonna be. So social media warfare is a very serious threat and it's, it's being used in America as well. It is. So what do you think the average American or you know, anyone around the world should know about how China is, um, you know, working in, in the media. Well, again, know that there are about 200 to 300,000 people just in the People's Liberation Army alone dedicated to fooling you, to deceiving you, to making uh, that person seem like, I'm your best friend and I agree with you politically, but you should think this way and putting out fake reports um, know that that's just on the military side. Then you've got the 50 cent army that's out there in China. The netizens, if you've heard that term, the ones that um, there was a, a major assault against one of the most popular boy bands in the Republic of Korea, South Korea, uh, a couple of months ago in the fall. Why did um, these people come under social media warfare assault? because they sang a tribute to the South Korean and American soldiers who died defending South Korea against the people, or the Red Army, the People's Liberation Army, so-called volunteers, and the North Korean forces that were trying to overtake South Korea. So the netizens, so-called netizens, stirred up a great deal of controversy, attacking not just the band, but their sponsors. That's the terror of social media warfare. You destroy people's lives. You destroy their reputation. You destroy their livelihood. So that's part of the, the, the terror operation that, that the PRC and the PLA wage against people that they don't like around the world. That's what you should know. And that's a beginning. My book will give you a lot more on that. So I noticed that they do that to a lot of Taiwan celebrities who stand up for Taiwan. And you're saying that these are average citizens or netizens in China, and they're getting paid for all of their, uh, their vocal support of you know, the Chinese line. Is that right? They, they get paid so much, Natalie, for every, uh, they, they put a comment on a magazine article a few years, uh, I read a lot for publication. Um, just for fun, a co-author and I, uh, watched when we wrote an article on how to improve your, the Taiwan's Marine Corps, we, we, as soon as it was posted, we knew when it would be posted, and we watched, and within minutes of it being posted, we had 50 Cent Army and PLA online trolls putting negative comments about the article. 
but you, you see how that works. Yeah. They're monitoring publications, they're monitoring newspapers, they're monitoring magazines, and they're immediately putting the PRC spin on the commentary that goes on there. So uh, again, it's pervasive. These aren't ordinary citizens. These are people who know, they get training, they're organized, the 50 Cent Army, just because they're civilian doesn't mean there's no organization. They're given themes from the propaganda department, and then they go out and they execute using those themes. That's, that's fascinating. No wonder, you know, I see so many patriotic Chinese comments, all, you know, all over the internet. And so they're actually getting paid to do this. A, a lot of them are, and again, a lot of them are, are PLA. And uh, again, the book goes into great detail and organization. We won't do that here. But you have to understand uh, the, the hyper-nationalization issue that I brought up earlier, and I know you do understand this, but when you make your citizenry hyper-nationalistic, then a lot of the other subjects in the People's Republic of China are going to join in on that. So don't, um, don't assume that it's all people who are paid or all PLA uh, mm -hmm. soldiers and strategic support force who are doing this. Yeah, there's a lot of Joe and Jane average Chinese who are online, and they know they can attack someone overseas, but they would go to jail, they would disappear forever, and their families just as likely if they said anything similar against their own government. So it's fun to watch, but it's important to combat. So what do people like us journalists, what should we do when we are on the end of those comments? Like this, maybe this video will get a ton of comments from the PLA cyber force, right? <laughs> I would wear it as a badge of honor. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's, that, that's one thing you can do. It, it, don't take it seriously. You know where it's coming from. A more and more enlightened populace will also know where it's coming from. So by talking about this uh, today, Natalie, you and I are educating those, those watching and listening. Be skeptical. Be highly skeptical for anything you see that, that mindlessly, lemming-like, uh, regurgitates the party line of a fascist, totalitarian, brutally repressive regime that, that has concentration camps and is committing genocide. Who on God's earth is going to write comments in support of that kind of a regime? No one you want to listen to. Well, Carrie, it's been fascinating speaking with you and uh, thank you for your insights and also thank you for your book. The book that Carrie Gershanik just wrote and published is called Political Warfare Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting. Thanks again, Carrie, for joining me today. Thank you so very much for having me on tonight, Natalie. RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Taipei 1927. Welcome to 1927. The world has changed since our last visit to the 1920s when we began the story of Jiang Weishui, a doctor practicing in Taipei. As we return to Jiang's story, 
Charles Lindbergh is preparing for a nonstop flight across the Atlantic. And by the end of the year, U.S. audiences will have seen the first talking movie. In China, Chiang Kai-shek attacks a budding communist movement. Of course, only we know that this conflict will one day engulf Taiwan as well. It's still 1927, and Japan is still the colonial master. As far as anyone can tell from this point of view, Japan might rule Taiwan forever. Things are changing for our doctor, Jiang Weishui, too. The cultural association he helped found had educated Taiwan's people and built up their identity. But it has split apart over political differences. So Jiang and his associates come up with a new idea. They found the Taiwan People's Party. Taiwan has never had a political party before. Soon, there are branches across the island. Doctor, author, and cultural critic Lin Hengzhe is here with us again this week to tell us about this next stage of Jiang's career. What were the party's goals? The goal of this party is to uh, establish the government of the people by the people for the people, maybe influenced by the Abraham Lincoln. Then establish the new constitution. Then second is uh, form the visible economical organization. And the third, we form the social system. That's the three goals. Surprisingly, after rejecting a few earlier suggestions, the Japanese authorities give the okay to the party. It's a strange situation. You have a political party, but no Taiwan parliament or elected offices to fill. Maybe this is one reason the party gets approved. Dr. Lin also believes that the party got lucky with a more liberal colonial government in office at the time. Maybe the timing. Yeah, at that time, yeah, Japanese think um, Taiwanese has so strong will to form their new party. The timing is come. Yeah, so maybe they had a new governor. Yeah, he's more political tolerant. So they, they allow Taiwanese form the first political party in Taiwan history. Party goals include securing local elections, reform of everything from the police to state monopolies, and equal access to education for Taiwanese. The Taiwan People's Party supports workers and farmers. Work to reform society continues as well. Another party goal is stamping out opium, still a serious social problem in this part of the world almost 90 years on from the first opium war. Many Taiwanese customs that the party calls superstitions and evil habits come under fire too. In 1929, just a week before the world falls into the depression, an all-Taiwan meeting of the party calls for an end to these old ways. Jiang writes that wedding dowries and the burning of paper spirit money as offerings to the gods will be among the customs that will have to go. It's now 1930. The party's whistleblowing has the authorities fuming. Japan has signed the International Opium Convention, but its colonial government on Taiwan still profits from the sale of opium. In 1930, the party tells the League of Nations in Geneva about this, and the League sends representatives to Taiwan to have a look. Jiang himself allegedly sends the telegram to Geneva, taking advantage of the fact that the telegraph operator doesn't know English. Jiang is also among those who meets with the League's representatives when they arrive. The authorities are not happy about having upstart Taiwanese going above their heads. Later the same year, an aboriginal uprising breaks out in the heart of Taiwan. A group of Siddiq people launches a surprise attack, massacring more than a hundred Japanese. 
The furious Japanese response includes the use of chemical weapons on the Sidig fighters. The party exposes this and asks Tokyo to send people to investigate. A big stir follows. The party only manages to cross one more line. In 1931, revisions to the party line are seen as too extreme, and police are sent in to break up the Fourth Party Congress. The party is banned. Taiwan's first experiment with political parties is over. The party may have fallen apart anyway. An obvious shift to the left had put off some of Jiang's closest associates, and by this point, they've already left to form their own groups. The party might have also crumbled after another big event. In 1931, the same year the party is banned, Jiang Weishui dies. Typhoid ends the doctor's career. He's still only 40, and Taiwan, his biggest patient in his own view, is still uncured. In four years' time, Taiwan will hold its first local elections. His funeral is a big event, a demonstration, and it spooks the authorities enough that they station police at the scene to keep order. Look up Jiang Weishui, and you'll often find him called Taiwan's Sun Yat-sen. The Chinese nationalist Sun Yat-sen is often called the father of the nation, China's founding father. But was Jiang Weishui really a nationalist? If so, was he a Taiwanese or Chinese nationalist? Yeah, I think so. He never say he's a Chinese. Yeah, he always think he's a Taiwanese. But he don't deny our ancestors come from China. He study KMT in China, and also he maybe have some personal admire to the Sun Yat-sen because Sun Yat-sen is a doctor too. So when Sun Yat-sen died, they seem he write some memorial article about him. But he never say he want to unite with China. Never talk about Taiwanese independence because at that time political situation no allowed he say this thing. So it seems that that pragmatic status quo mentality is nothing new in Taiwan politics. Or maybe Jiang just didn't know. Taiwan's identity has been a complex and emotional issue for a long time. How has Jiang's memory been dealt with by governments since the Japanese left? After Japanese rule came martial law. And Dr. Lin says that after a brief rise, Jiang's memory was kept out of the public eye. After 1945, KMT come to Taiwan. After the February 28 massacre, he promote Jiang Weishui's brother to become vice minister of the internal affairs. But after that, he tried to yeah neglect him until like uh, 1975. Huang Guanxiong he write the first biography of the Jiang Weishui. It was a time when it was very easy to get into trouble, so people just didn't talk about him. Dr. Lin recalls only learning about Jiang Weishui years later. As it turned out, Dr. Lin has a family connection with Jiang. When I high school, I live in my auntie house. My auntie never talk about Jiang Weishui. My auntie, when he study high school, in, he live in Jiang Weishui house. He call him uncle too. Until both of us go to United States, then he feel free to talk about Jiang Weishui. Then he taught me a lot of the Jiang Weishui history. Is Jiang Weishui in history books? Is the betrayal of him fair? He's in the history book now. That about happened five or six years ago. Quite fair, yeah. That's a Taiwanese hero, but not enough. Not like a Sun Yat-sen, you know. 
During the entrance examination, Sun Yat-sen will be the central topic. I think that's very unfair because uh, Jiang Wei-sui, he dedicated whole his life to the Taiwan culture, Taiwan politics, and Sun Yat-sen just come to Taiwan three times, just for the short stay, two or three days. But uh, we think he is the father of the uh, Taiwan or but DTP also not very pay too much attention to the Jiang Wei-sui. We hope the next president will be more emphasized Jiang Wei-sui role in Taiwan's history. The past year in particular has seen a resurgence of interest. President Ma Ying-jeou praised Jiang Wei-shui at an exhibition about Jiang's life in April. Jiang's remains were returned to his home in Yilan County in October. Dr. Lin's own Jiang Wei-shui Cultural Foundation opened a memorial to him. Now, there's even a Taiwanese opera about Jiang Weishui's life, endorsed by no less than Taipei's current mayor and fellow doctor, Ko Wenzhe. The fact that they all invoke his name says something about the resonance his story has in Taiwan today. One of his most famous quotes calls for unity among all of Taiwan's people. And his story embodies a feisty sense of Taiwanese-ness that people of all political stripes can rally around. I'm John Van Trieste, and I'll see you on our next Journey Through Time. Andrew, did you know that the Lunar New Year is a high time for burglaries? I did. In fact, the only time I've ever had somebody break into my house was right before the Lunar New Year. Really? Yeah, I got my wallet stolen. My roommate got his wallet stolen. Yeah. So Anything you have to else? Be no, strangely, they just took You don't money. have anything else? No, <laughs> nothing <laughs> else worth stealing. <laughs> Well, you know, the Lunar New Year is a high time for burglaries because there's a lot of cash around and mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, travel, leave their home. That's right. And now some, what's very interesting is there are some police departments that have started to shoot their own videos warning people about the dangers. Have a look. The camera pans as gun-wielding gangsters plot a bank robbery. Cut to a slow-mo shot of the outlaws approaching the bank. But this isn't Taiwan's hottest new blockbuster. It's this year's anti-theft video from police in Lugang. And that means, spoiler alert, these gangsters are actually cops. Officer Zheng Quan Yao explains how they did it. He says they used three mobile phones shooting 60 frames per second. Inspiration came from their favorite action movies. Meanwhile, police in Taichung rob a bank in costume as characters from the popular anime series One Piece. Their crack canine division saves the day. Another police department dresses to impress, while a guard makes a cameo. With such stiff competition for the best promotional video, it seems even police love playing cops and robbers.
The Sound of the Amish Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.